0: You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.
1: Well, we keep walking through the Shorter Catechism, this great document, um, that is one of, one of the theological standards of the PCA, of Redeemer Church. All of your officers affirm these, um, and we think they're good. And so we're teaching them to all of us, to all of the congregation, because we think this is good and edifying. And this catechism was originally created for um, the average Christian, or really the average Christian child. Um, but uh, it's a wonderful statement, and I hope you found it edifying as we walk through it. We come this morning to question 38, and we are here concluding the first half of the catechism. Uh, The first half of the catechism. Oh, it looks like we have another broken leg in the church. Chris, I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Just thankful. Oh, just an ankle. Okay, just an ankle. I'm like, wow, it must have been really bad if you're thankful, that's all (laughs) Well, good to see you. I'm sorry you're on crutches. I'll hear the story later, I'm sure. Um, Where was I? Oh, coming to the end of section one of the catechism, this section on what do we believe about God? Who is God? What has he done for us? And then next time we're moving into what duty does God require of man? So we're looking at our now obligation, but this section um, is full of the gospel, full of the hope that we have as Christians, full of what God has done for us in Christ by grace. And so we conclude that section today by looking at our eternal hope, the second part of glorification. And before we do that, the last, this is my last opportunity. I considered taking it out, but my last opportunity to remind us of this kind of smaller section that we're in at the end of this, what do we believe about God? This, um, what we call the ordo salutis, the order of salvation, how salvation comes to us individually. Um, this logical order and progression that it follows. And so you've seen these boxes here That I've put up. It begins with eternity past and and, uh, before the foundation of the world, God elects a people that he will save. And so our our salvation personally begins with God in eternity. And then in space and time, he comes and calls us effectually to uh, regenerate us, to make us new. So this effectual calling um, well, calling, we can separate out into, into two aspects. One, the outward calling with the proclamation of the word, the call to faith in Christ, the call to faith and repentance. And so that outward call that the whole world, we want the whole world to hear. And through that, God works by his spirit to regenerate. We call this effectual calling. He effectually calls us to himself by giving us a new heart. So we call this regeneration. The Holy Spirit does this work of regenerating. With that new heart then, we finally see Jesus as as beautiful, as lovely, as wonderful, and the offer of salvation, a glorious thing. And so, because of our regenerated heart, we trust in Christ. We have faith for the first time, and that's called conversion. And then in faith, we are united to Christ, and we receive from Christ all of the benefits of salvation. And so, under this union with Christ heading, we have all of these different um uh, these different benefits of salvation. Uh, the catechism calls them benefits of effectual calling, but it comes through this union with Christ. And this is where we connect what Christ did to us particularly. So what Christ did in history past is not just something, an example, is not just something out there for us to look at as a, as a um, picture of what God can do? No, what Christ did was for us, and we are united to Him. That's why Paul can say we are united to Christ in a death like His, and we will be united to Him in a resurrection like His. And so, because what Christ did, what Christ did is for us, but also we're united to Him. And so, our death has di- or our sin has died. We have received the judgment for our sin in Christ, and now the resurrection, which we'll get to in a few moments. The resurrection that He has. Um, that that he has undergone is the same resurrection we will have and we're united to him and so he's the first fruits of this coming resurrection. Um, Anyway, there's a lot there that should be unpacked, but that's just some summary statements. All these benefits, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, glorification, other benefits um, as the catechism lays them out. And so we're looking at the part two of glorification, um, this uh, eternal life in heaven, um, the future hope of glory that we have. And last time we talked about uh, the Catechism, question 37 was what happens to us at death? And at death, remember, our souls are immediately made perfect and pass into glory. So our souls are in glory. They're glorified, using that theological language, but the bodies remain in the grave, rest in the grave until the resurrection. And so today the question is what happens at the resurrection? So that's where we are. That's the big picture. All of this that we're speaking of is ours because of Christ. Christ. These aren't just um, um, a whim that God kind of just (laughs) for no reason gives these things. There's no, without grounding or without basis. God just doesn't dole out forgiveness or dole out eternal life and all these things without some kind of basis. The basis is Christ himself. So as we read and think of these things this morning, it is Christ himself that grants these to us. Because we are united to him, because of what he has done and because of what he will do, these are ours because of Christ, so we're grounded completely and utterly in Him, in our union with Him. All right, a lot of preface there. Um, questions before we jump into this question itself this morning. Is there a test Is there a test? Absolutely. Yes. Get ready. No test. No test. All right. well let's go to question 38. Question 38. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. Wonderful, wonderful statement here that we have of this wonderful future hope of the Christian. This is what we're looking to. This is what we're 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 waiting for. Salvation is here now. We experience salvation already in Christ, but the best is yet to come. We only have a down payment of that eternal inheritance that is ours. So the, the joy of salvation that we experience now is nothing compared to this future reality, this future hope, this expectation that we have based upon the promises of God's word. And so the question begins, um, presuming something, says, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? And this was alluded to last time, the bodies of believers rest in the grave until the resurrection. It was mentioned last time. We didn't really speak of it formally because here we're talking about this event, the resurrection. So what is the resurrection? What is the catechism speaking of? we, uh, we recite the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed. Um, if you're around the church much, you, you know what this is. You you have some an idea in your mind, at least. Um, but let's unpack it a little bit with a couple past scripture verses here. But the, the resurrection speaks of the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, where he will come and the dead will rise. All of the dead will rise, we'll see in a moment. And we will um, enter then um, eternal life or eternal judgment at that point in time. So this The resurrection is a point in history, a point that's to come. It's not gonna happen gradually. It's a single moment where all will be raised. Um, Christ will return in power as the king. Uh, Remember when Christ first came, all the disciples expected him to be some kind of military king, to come and overthrow Rome, to establish Israel as the the power that it should be. Um, And they were wrong. They were expecting the second coming. They were expecting what Christ will be coming to do. Uh, but Christ in his first coming came in humility, and now he's coming in power. And that's a little bit of an overstatement to stay, say it that um, uh, opposite. But uh, over, overarchingly, big picture, first coming was humility. Yes, he came in power. Yes, he came in triumph as well. But in a uh, subversive way, in an unexpected way, now he's going to come in power that the whole world will see. Everyone will know he is the king. He is coming to triumph over his foes in power and glory and all the dead will rise. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 17. Let me read this where it's a great short summary of all this. 1 Thessalonians 4. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, Paul writing, Christ himself told him this, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, So that coming with, with with the loud trumpet of God, the loud sound, the thunder, the archangel, all of this grand vision of Christ coming, and then the dead in Christ will rise first. And the dead of those not in Christ will rise as well. Um, and then those who are remaining on the earth will then, those those in Christ, will meet Christ in the clouds. They will rise themselves, not rise from death to life, but rise from um, a spiritual body, or from, a, from a, um, a earthly body to what, what Paul calls a spiritual body. It will be just as physical, but it will be that glorified body. And so this is the second coming. And this resurrection includes both the just and the unjust. I've said this several times, but Acts 24 says it very uh, succinctly. There will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust, right? The resurrection is not just for the Christian. Everybody will be raised. But we see Christ, and I've, I've read this before. Christ in John 5 says, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, the voice of the Son of Man, and come out. So all who are in the tombs will come out. Um, Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So there's two kinds of resurrection. Are you being resurrected to life everlasting or resurrected to judgment eternal? Which one is it? And then we see, this grounds us back in, in Christ himself, because Christ's resurrection is the prototype of our resurrection on this last day. Philippians 3, verses 20 to 21, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So he transforms He transforms what Paul calls in this place a lowly body, our lowly bodies now, to be like his Glorious body. So his resurrected glorious body, we will be like him. That's why we call it glorification because our bodies will be made glorious like his body. Not that they're divine or worshiped or anything of that sort, but it will be a glorious thing, a glorious existence physically that we experience. And this is the moment in which our bodies, the dead bodies who are resting in the grave, united to Christ, will then be reunited to our souls. So our bodies and souls will be reunited in life forever for eternity, and so then we're that that yearning that we spoke of last time for the, the soul to be reunited to the body, that yearning will come to fruition, and the, the, the fully embodied soul will enjoy the presence of God for eternity. We'll get to that in a moment. But at this resurrection, body and soul are reunited. That's the basic point there. Okay, there's a lot there. But that's the resurrection, a point in time, Christ will come in power. Body and soul reunited, we will the dead will rise, both just and unjust, this point in time in the future. Um comments here. Yeah, Julia? I have a question. You mentioned Acts 24. Do you have an exact word for that? Because I was looking for this acting oh. in Jesus. Acts 24, 15. Okay. Thank you. Let me know if it's not there. Maybe I have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, I am glad. Yeah, when you skim it quickly, it's easy to miss. Jonathan? Uh, why do you think that this is not, it seems like this is not commonly understood. From, um, the average will just go to heaven and that's, that's the final state. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why that is. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, in my own experience, I'm not sure why. I don't know. Y'all have other experiences. With, it was never taught. Why? Why is this kind of falling away? Anybody, anybody have ideas? Yeah, so, uh, yeah. People that are in the end times. Right. So about thinking about names and dates and places as people. So right. It's a different focus than mm-hmm. what at least what you're bringing out here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And you'll notice the shorter catechism, along with the larger catechism, along with the confession, it's not emphasizing those things that we often debate in, you know, uh Christian circles today about uh, if you don't know these terms, don't worry, don't worry about it. It's for another talk for another day. Amillennialism, premillennialism, postmillennialism. Uh, it's not getting into those debates. That's not the primary focus here of the catechism. And in the PCA, you can have any of those views. You can't be a dispensational premillennial. Again, don't worry about it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. i will talk about it another time. But you can be a, a classical, historical, premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial um, but that's where often we like to debate, but this is focusing on like, the big picture things, the, the important um, things that, that we can say clearly from Scripture. Uh,
0: now when we die, the soul goes to
1: heaven. That's right. So maybe we're thinking about that. Yeah, that's right. So we, we, that's right. So the soul does go to heaven. It's a, a disembodied soul at that point. And so some people think that might just be how we are forever. Um, I just think the Christian imagination somehow has been captured by, by that reality that, that the, the body is bad. Um, we can't wait to put it off and goes in the grave and just our, our pure soul gets to go to heaven. Something has caught our imagination, um, but that's not truly human. Our bodies are truly human. We are created physical beings and um, soul and material beings as well. Uh, and we can't have one without the other. So that's a great point that uh, some would call the, the uh, intermediate state. Right. People think is the final state. But no, the resurrection is the final state. Um, I have a question. You mentioned a verse that those who do evil will go to judgment. Right. You say that again? Yeah, this, so this is John 5 28 and 29. Jesus says, Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil in the resurrection of judgment. Right. Jesus talks about that. Exactly, so yeah. Yeah, Jesus is not speaking there of a works salvation, a works righteousness there. He, he uses this kind of, of language to speak of you, those who are known by doing good, those who are known by doing evil. Um, he's using it more in this, this bigger picture sense. Not that uh, you can earn eternal life anymore. Not that we can, any of us can do that because we're fallen in sin. Um, he's speaking, though, of those, the Christian should stand out from the world because we do good works uh, for God's glory. And the earth might do, the, the worldly people might, might do things that appear good sometimes, but they're never motivated by God's glory. And so they don't actually do good works. Um, and then this is, this is also, Jesus, we'll come to come to a part of this later, I'm lopping this off, um, but Jesus in Matthew, what, 26? I'll come to it later. Um, Jesus says, the sheep and the goats separating on the last day, the sheep, he will say, you know, enter the Father's kingdom. uh, for you know, you clothed me and you gave me water and you gave me food and all these things. And they say, Lord, when do we do these things? Um, And he says, whoever you've done, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers. Whatever you do to to God's people, you've done them to me. And then the unbelievers, those who go to the eternal judgment, the, the goats in Matthew 26, they, Jesus says the same thing, you did not clothe me though. You did not give me water. You did not give me food. And they say, you know, when do we see you needing clothes? When do we see you needing water? It says, you didn't do them for the least of these, my, brother, my brethren. Um, and so you, you will go into judgment. So it's using this, this works um, metaphor to get to the heart of the issue though of are you trusting in Christ or not? Because those who trust in Christ will live that life, um, not perfectly, but the life of, of good works. And that's where we come next time to what duty does God require of man? It's to obey his will. And we do this comes after in the Catechism, the statement of the gospel, the statement of what is true of us now, the statement of what Christ has done for us, because now we understand this duty in a new light. This duty to honor God is now done in the light of thanksgiving. It's not done in the light of earning salvation or done in groveling to God. It's now done in the light of what is true in Christ of you. Now you can go and obey him. Um, out of a heart that, that wants to, out of gratitude. So you're, we're getting into works, grace, those kinds of ideas there. Um, that's good. So if you didn't follow me there, don't worry about it. We'll coming back on track here. Good question, though. Um, yeah, Jim. Can you comment briefly on the concept kind of
0: Abrahamism that's brought up in the New Testament? Is that like, only because there's a, there's a certain distinction there of, until Christ came and died resurrected and was
1: ascended, right? Was there a different paradigm for when the Old Testament church was looking at like going to glory before right? Scripture was revealed. Yeah. So that 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 um, image of Abraham's bosom, the one I can think of, and there may be more that I'm not thinking of. You can correct me. What I'm thinking of is the parable of um, the rich man and Lazarus. Yeah, I think that's the verse. Right. Right, and there may be others, I'm not remembering them. So one, I'll take from that, it's a parable, and I'm not sure how much of that we can take as being um, literal, what's literally happening. But two, I think um, the idea, though, is a good one, a right one, in that, insofar that we see Abraham as the example, uh, as the, um, the, the, the example of true faith. He's used over and over and over in the Old Testament as the father of those who have true faith. And so those who are in Abraham's bosom are those who, like Abraham, are trusting in Christ, the coming Christ. So we, we go back to redemptive historically, the, the Historia Salutis, the work of Christ. What do we say then about those who came before Christ? Right. So that's ultimately what your question is. What, are they, what did they do before Christ? A lot of debate in Christian history, but I think, I think it's clear from Scripture and our kind of rising up from our theological convictions that come from Scripture that they're treated no differently than us. There's a great place in Hebrews that talks about the blood of the eternal covenant that Christ shed, right? So his shed, like this eternal blood in some sense. So the, the blood of Christ that happened on, you know, what, 33, 34, 36 AD, that was actually, for all those who came before, considered at the, even, even in Israel, you know, a thousand years before, that blood of Christ was still effective for them even at that time. Because the blood of Christ was retroactive and proactive. Or, uh, what's, what's not proactive? What's the? Perspective, whatever. Goes back and goes forward in time. And so those people had the same benefits of Christ that we do when we die. They were just looking forward to it, and they still received the benefits even before it happened. Because of, again, Hebrews uses that mysterious language, but I think it's helpful and showing us that what Christ did applied to all, forward and backwards. So I don't think we can say that they had lesser. Now, they didn't know Christ himself. They had shadows of what Christ would be, and they trusted in God's promise and provision of a coming Messiah, and they knew there would be a resurrection in the last day, But they, so they didn't know Christ himself, but they had all the benefits of Christ. I'll say that. Is that, yep. you wanna to add to that?
0: I, I guess the summary of that is that Christ's blood is effectual, irrespective of the actual,
1: that's right, that's right, exactly, yes. When we talk about the souls being glorified at the time of death, mm-hmm. we talk about it going to have mm-hmm. our bodies remain here. That's right. On the current older earth. That's right. At the final resurrection, is it our bodies go somewhere or is it New time? Can you speak to that? Yeah, that's great. Do our bodies go someplace? Let's come, we'll come to that in a moment. Ask it again if I don't get to it in a little bit. Um, we'll come to that though. That's very good, very good. Um, one brief brief um, comment I want to make here is um, some Christian traditions, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, which is why I say it, um, celebrate this season we're in right now as Advent, right this this um, coming of Christ. Um, but historically Advent has been, yes, about the first coming of Christ, but more about the the second coming of Christ. And yes, it culminates in Christmas and the arrival of Christ and all that, but it's looking forward. It's seeing that as pointing us forward to the second coming of Christ. And so Advent, historically, I think those who celebrate it Uh, appropriately, uh, or most appropriately, we don't celebrate it here for other reasons and we can talk about that another time, Um, but those who I think do the best job of, of, of celebrating it in a biblically rounded way are celebrating the second coming of Christ, awaiting, so it's a season of anticipation, season of waiting, remembering this, what we experience now is not our final home. And so I, don't, uh, I know people like to do Advent devotionals and things like that. And yes, we look back to Christ because it's grounded in Christ's first coming, but it doesn't end with Christ's first coming. Advent always points us with the yearning and the, and the um, desire for Christ to return again for this, this coming. All right, so let's, let's um, keep moving. We're, we've hit on some of these things. Um, and so we see here that, uh, where, did, where did my question go. Okay, so at the resurrection, believers are raised up in glory. So we've kind of hit on this, and um, so I'm not going to spend much time on this, but our our bodies will be more glorious than we can imagine now, than we can understand now, and we hit on this last night a little, or last week a little bit as well, but we will be raised up in glory. We will have glorious bodies, wonderful bodies, and our souls are reunited, and this waiting has come to an end. Um Let me see, I'll I'll go ahead and address the question that you raised here. Because, okay, what is is also happening on this last day? We're raised in glory, and we see at this point, um, also in, in, in Scripture, it's not just individuals, things are happening to individual people, but something's happening to the entire cosmos at this point in time. And we can talk about particularly what's happening, but ultimately the end is a new heavens and a new earth, or maybe a better way is a renewed heavens and a renewed earth, where Christ is reforming out of the, this earth, this, this fallen world. Um, Peter says that there's a judgment through fire, even of this world. And out of that judgment of fire, God will bring about a new heavens and a new earth. Christ will. And so this is the new heavens and new earth where we will dwell forever. And um, and Peter again says, this is the place where righteousness dwells. It's a glorious picture that on this earth, this new heavens, this new earth, which is the better heavens and earth that we experience now, it will be glorious because only righteousness dwells there. That's where these glorious bodies will be. That's where Christ himself will be. That's where we will see the Father with uh, probably not our physical ocular eyes, but we will see the Father in this new heavens and new earth. This will be the cosmo. cosmic temple of God, how it was originally intended to be. But as sin entered into this world, it fell. And so Christ will renew all things and bring an incredible physical real world. It'll be just as real as it is now. We'll experience it just as vividly, actually more vividly than we experience it now. But it will be made perfect in every way. And we'll experience only joy, only peace, only uh, the greatest uh, things that we can ever imagine because Christ is there. And it is the place where righteousness dwells. So race and glory also has these other biblical uh, uh, related truths of the whole physical world being renewed and all evil will be judged and removed from it. Yeah, it could be either. I'm not sure. Um, It does, Peter does use the judgment with water from Noah. It does use that as an analogy to the coming judgment of fire. So there's a lot of really fascinating language used there in 2 Peter about this. Um, The the great conflagration, the theologians have always called it. Um, And I I tend to think it probably will be actual fire, some kind of of, uh, explosive or um, burning event that will happen. And then out of the ashes, as it were, will rise, you know, the new heavens, new earth by Christ's work. Um, but I could see that maybe it is more, uh, it might not be actually that literal what's intended. It might be uh, speaking um, symbolically, metaphorically for what Christ by spirit will do. I'm not sure. Do you have, you have comments on that? No, I think it's the spirit of God. But yeah, I, you
0: know, I'm yeah.
1: To open to yeah, exactly. I'm not gonna hold that one too I tightly. Amen. That's right. No, no, no. Um, when I, sorry. today um, When I think about the new heavens and the new earth, I think sometimes the, the common imagination has a completely
0: other yeah place for right. To pursue, That's right. Rather than staying here, mm-hmm. and there's this this kind of like unknown duality or something because Christ is in the new body glorified on the present earth, but it's still fallen. Mm-hmm. Our bodies. I mean, they,
1: they make an effort of saying even the seed will give up their. This right. The idea of he's making it out of the physical world. Mm-hmm. He's not creating something new, he's still reforming. That's right. It's a saying coming out of through fire and then something new is being being done. Mm-hmm. It's very much the idea of the physical world. But I don't even know if the laws of physics remain the same. Right, right, and exactly. There's, yeah. There's there's this huge
0: uncertainty, but it seems mm-hmm. very much he wants us to be thinking mm-hmm. it is a
1: physical That's world. right. That's right, exactly, and and there's all the, the theologians are always debating to what degree is there continuity from this life to the next. Some will say there's so much continuity that Hudson, Ohio will be in the new heavens and new earth, and this building and all these things will be there. Um, you know, Mount Everest will be there, and you know, Grand Canyon will be there. I don't know. I'd say probably not, but I don't know. Only West Virginia. Only West Virginia. There we go. <laughs> Right, so um, is, is heavens speaking of just physical, like heaven, sky, space kind of a thing? Or is it speaking of the kind of a spiritual um, place right now where, where the Father is? Because heaven is an immaterial place right now, I think. Um, I don't know, maybe not. Um, but the answer to that is, so one, the immaterial heaven is, a cre- is created by God. So often we think, of, well, God has always existed and so heaven's always existed. No, it's created by God. Even his, you know, um, uh, Isaiah 6, where we see the cherubim and the seraphim and the, the you know, the, the train of his, his robe fills the temple with glory. All of that, that image of the heavenly, uh, of, of heaven, the heavenly temple, all that was created by God. Um, it's not like that was coexistent with God. No, that, that's God creating it. And so what's it gonna mean? What does it mean when there's this new heavens and new earth? Is that speaking of how this heaven now will be renewed? What I think it probably means is that this heaven and this earth are going to be one and the same now. I think of this new heavens and new earth. Yes, our heavens will be, will be renewed, our whole cosmos and space and all that. I don't know what that means. Yes, renewed. But this dwelling place of God now is the dwelling place. He dwells with man here in this place. So I think that's ultimately what it's getting at, and Mark Van Drunen has, has a hearty oh, yeah. Head, yeah. head shake, yeah.
0: Well, you know, this kind of ties in really well with what we were talking about uh, in our community group last night, that our, it's, uh, the topic is on teenagers, how to raise teenagers, <laughs> and uh, so, so one of the things that teenagers do, they, they think of the here and now that this is the ultimate.
1: Right, um, right.
0: Having a reminder that the new heavens and new earth—that is more real than Mm -hmm. what we experience today. That's right. Thinking of that um, helps create that foundation for delayed gratification.
1: Mm -hmm. That's Uh, right.
0: And I think that's uh, as we talked about earlier. This isn't taught. Right. So there's a gap there for us to think of that, and then. Pastor Wright always likes to make fun of me for saying, I didn't want to, when I was a kid, I was six, I didn't want to go to heaven because I didn't want to sit on a cloud and play a
1: harp all day. Long. That's right. That didn't, that didn't sound like fun. That's right. But having a picture of what we will be doing
0: in the new earth, I think is just an amazing
1: Yeah. Amazing That's right. That's right. Very good. Um, let, me, let me jump to a couple of other points that the catechism covers. Um, this is all so good, and I would love to keep camping out. We'll circle back around to some of these themes in a moment. Um, So raised in glory, Um, speaking of the day of judgment is coming, Um, there'll be openly, we shall, believers shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment. So this uh, resurrection day is also called the day of judgment for all people. And lots of scripture um, to speak of this, uh, Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. And Ecclesiastes tells us God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So every secret thing, every careless word will be um, unveiled for all the world to see. And there will be a judgment of every single person, but the believers will be openly acknowledged and acquitted. And that goes back to Matthew 25, not 26, like I said earlier, Matthew 25, where the sheep and the goats will be separated out and the the sheep will be um, declared openly, you are acquitted of your sins. You are righteous in my sight. Not that they hadn't been before, but it will be open. It will be a public, um, uh, public pronouncement of righteous, that you're my children, that you now spend eternity with me. And then the goats on the other side, those who are not trusting in Christ, they will be openly condemned to everlasting punishment in hell. Yeah. So, like, is there fear and anxiety at that moment? No. I think I think every every um, declaration of sin that we've done, every every time one is named, we will weep for the mercy of Christ for us. Not that we're not that we think we're gonna we're we're gonna save ourselves, or we think we're gonna be condemned. We'll know we're not condemned, but we will know it's only because of Christ. And every sin that is named publicly will make us. Grow in love and affection of Christ all the more because we will see Him. He will be standing there as we, as all of our sins are named, and He'll say, "Paid for, every single one, hung on the cross. This child is mine. He is acquitted. It's going to be a glorious thing. It will. There will be um, sorrow for our sin. Absolutely, there will be. Um, um, I don't know to what degree we can say pain or remorse or, or anything like that, but there will be sorrow." And, but we will see the love of Christ for us profoundly in a way we can never imagine beforehand. That's right, that's right. Yeah, I think, I think possibly. Um, I don't think we'll grieve over our sin though. I think we will, that will be done, dealt with, done in that judgment day. And, and that is our justification that is true, just as true of us today as it will be on that day. But that justification will be publicly made known, and we will no longer have trouble believing God that it's true. Because right now we believe God that our justification is true. And um, and we're wrestling with that. But then on, from that day forward, we will never question. God's love for us, and that we are justified in His sight. Um, So I think the tears, I think are less tears of grief, um, but I think they're probably tears of sadness. There won't be tears of sadness any longer, um, as there are in this world. Um, So openly acknowledged and acquitted. um, And then this last um, phrase I love, um, and we will be made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. And the question is, what is it to be blessed? Um, go to the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is the man, you know, um, or blessed, that's, that's Psalms, Psalm 1. Um, but blessed are those who mourn, right? Blessed are, those who, blessed are the meek. Blessed are all these people here and now um, who see their sin, grieve over their sin. But they're blessed here and now because the same reality is true, because they are enjoying God, because they have the presence of God, because they have the blessing of God. But this is now, we are perfectly blessed on this final day. We will fully experience that blessing, enjoying God for all eternity. I wanna read um, the larger catechism question 90 here. It's so beautiful. The question is, what shall be done to the righteous at the day of judgment? And I'm cutting out some parts just to get to the, the best of it. But the righteous shall be received into heaven. And again, this new heavens, new earth that we spoke of. Um, old theologians just would speak of that as heaven, but it's the new heavens, new earth. Um, so the righteous shall be received into heaven where they shall be fully and forever freed from all sin and misery, filled with inconceivable joys, made perfectly holy and happy, both in body and soul. Again, you know, emphasizing look, body and soul together, reunited, perfect, blessed experience in the company of innumerable saints and holy angels, but especially in the immediate vision and fruition of God, the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit to all eternity. And this is the perfect and full communion which the members of the invisible church shall enjoy with Christ in glory at the resurrection and the day of judgment. I love that. My favorite line here, it's especially... We're in the company of especially the immediate of God and the immediate vision and fruition of God the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit. And that word immediate is important. It's a theological term. Instead of, the, the, the alternative option is immediate vision of God, a mediated vision of God, which is what we have now. We, we know God immediately through a mediator, um, through, uh, but we don't know him immediately right now. We know him through his promise of the word, his promise of the gospel, through what Christ has done for us. We know him through the word immediately, but then we will see him immediately. We will behold God. We will see him. We will see the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. We will immediately, we no longer need the word proclaimed for us because we have God himself. We see Jesus standing there in the flesh, on that day, and the Holy Spirit as well. We will see them. And again, what does seeing mean? Does it mean with your eyes? I think we'll see Jesus with our eyes. I think we'll see the Father and the Holy Spirit with, I don't know, some kind of new uh, sense we have. I don't know. But they are still spirit. They'll be spirit forever. And uh, so I don't know how we'll behold them, but we will. We will see them. And that is what we have to look forward to. And that's why the Christian life is one of anticipation and expectation. We know this world is not our home. We do not love this world, especially all the sin, all the entrapments, all of the suffering. We do not love this world. And as Mark was talking about earlier, one of the things we all need to do and one of the things we need to do as we pass on the faith to the next generation is, is, is take our grasp off of this world and look to heaven, the new heavens and new earth. This will make our suffering in this life more bearable, will make the difficulties of this life nothing, Paul says, compared to the eternal weight of glory that's awaiting for us. So we're a heavenly-minded people. We're a people with our hope set upon the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, and the new earth. This is our hope we have as Christians. What we see is not all we get. There's so much more waiting for us. And it is what Christ has done that makes this possible and makes this not just possible, but certain for God's people. This is an incredible hope that we have. I'll pause there for final comments or questions.
0: Mm-hmm. This earth is renewed. Mm-hmm. Does that mean Christ is either here or somewhere
1: else in the new? Yeah. Earth? Yeah. How does time look into that? And is he accessible to all? Yeah. Made righteous believers. Or right. Have time is waiting for him to come back to Yeah, so the, the physical body of Christ is, is bound to one place locally. It's a, it's a human nature. Um, and so it, it's not everywhere. There's not a million Jesuses running around. There's one Jesus, the human body. Now, the divinity of Christ is not confined to his body. The divinity of Christ is everywhere, upholding the universe by the word of his power, on and on and on. But a uh, time, I think, will be very similar to the time we experience now. Um, time um, will hap- will occur in heaven. I don't know what that looks like particularly what that means. But yes, Christ will be in one place. So yeah, maybe there'll be a long line to see Jesus, um, to shake his hand and get his autograph. But um, we will see him. And, and there, there will be an anticipation, I think, of growing in communion with him. But yeah, all believers will be, will be, will be desiring to see him. Um, and there's only one. So yeah, there, there will be some scarcity, but not, not in a negative or bad way. It's not gonna be a scarcity that, that makes it hard to, to handle. It's going to be a scarcity that makes his presence even more glorious. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, there's some conjecture here. Um, we don't know precisely, but that's the best I can do. Yes, that's right. So hell will be just as physical as heaven, as the new heavens and new earth. And it will be a resurrection to judgment and there will be eternal suffering and torment far greater than we can imagine or understand. And they will be, the hardest thing about it is they will be yearning for the suffering to end, but it will never end. Right now, our suffering, we know will come to an end. And even if it's bad enough, we know we're gonna die and be released from it. It will never end. It will be physical and it will be... Worse than we can ever imagine. I would encourage you all to go listen to Pastor Wright just did a series of six sermons, three on heaven, three on hell, evening. Um, and so I encourage you to go listen to those and he'll answer some more of those, those particular questions um, as he unfolds that. So um, a somber note, but that's why the gospel, we need, we need to proclaim the gospel. There's, there's a dying world out there and we want them to know Christ. So on that note, let's close in prayer. Lord, it is sobering to consider eternity the eternal judgment that awaits those who are not in Christ. And so we pray that you would bring many, many to Christ, that you would open the minds of all those who do not know you, open their hearts to love and to see Jesus Christ and to receive and rest upon him alone for salvation. And for those of us who are in Christ, what a joy this is as we look forward with great anticipation to our heavenly hope, the new heavens and the new earth, the place where righteousness dwells. Fit us for that day, prepare us now and. We pray that you would loosen our clutches on this world as our eyes and our sights remain upon heaven and our Savior who is there. Bless us, O Father, as we now worship you where we have a foretaste of heaven and may we be built up into your people all the more today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.